ladies and gentlemen of the great planet Earth, we are here again. And in this technological world, we've brought in people from via satellite. This, of course, is Martin Gallagher. He's approaching. Hello. Oh, there he is. Oh, he's there all right. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you to the Shiny Things podcast. And today we have the honor of having the notorious, the effervescent, the spectacular Bill Bowman. Greetings. I am far less caffeinated than this other fellow here. <laughs> How caffeinated are you? <laughs> oh, less than you. I'm confident of that much. Well, I need to, I feel like I already need more. I'm drinking Diet Pepsi. I think there's some caffeine in there somewhere. I <laughs> I believe it. There's also other strange things. I don't know. I'm I'm nervous about diet sodas. Uh, but but I've already. I only diet- twitch a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So here we are on the Shiny Things podcast. This today is uh, what is it? October twenty third, twenty twenty. Is that? Did I have that right? You got it. I, I, I forgot. Got it. I, the other day I forgot to oil my calendar, and it's been messing me up for weeks. So. Uh, <laughs> Martin, where are you right now? I am in a little campground called Long Point Park, um, just about an hour south of uh, Melbourne, Florida. Beautiful little park. The sun is shining. It's uh, the lake and the water's nice and flat and calm, so it's good to get out in the kayak. Wow. So uh, they. Uh, so you're in a public place. I am in a public place, but we are in uh, our own little caravan, so it is our own personal bubble. Oh, so we good. are uh, kind of still isolated from everybody else. Actually, not too many people here. It's not too crazy at the moment, so uh, we, we stay pretty tight to the caravan. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm impressed that you're outside. We've been having rain here all day, so it sounds like you've been pretty lucky there. Yeah, we got a little bit of rain this morning, but right now it's nice and nice and breezy and calm and stuff, so it's pretty cool. Oh, the luxury you live. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the shiny things are still shiny here. Uh, Martin, you'll be happy to know that. Um, I, haven't, I, I don't see Emron. There's somebody working on one of the computers out there. He seems to be qu- quite enjoying himself. And if that is Emron, he has totally changed his hairstyle and complexion. So, and probably facial structure as well, you know. That might so, be a visual representation of Emron's avatar. That's oh, maybe it is. Maybe it, maybe that's true. I'm not sure. Does that mean we're in the Matrix? We're in the Matrix now, aren't we? Oh Dad, my gosh! No, uh, sorry, I have toys in front of me. Bill, what is your favorite part about the pandemic? Well, my favorite part about the pandemic is getting having an excuse to be as antisocial as I inherently am. Do you need an excuse for that? No, but it helps anyway. You know, people don't get to criticize you at that point. Um, yeah, for uh, anyone who's you know on the geeky side of things, there's a YouTube channel called Chalk Eaters. Chalk Eaters. And they've got a song about the quarantine, and it's basically about yep. I'm just gonna stay home and play video games. Suddenly, uh, gaming is uh, healthy. Sounds good. Huh? What kind of games do you play? Oh. Uh, the majority of them, not too much on shooters, more on the strategy and role-playing end of things. What's your jam right now? What is it? My jam right now is actually a game called Satisfactory. Hmm. Is it, does it live up to its name? I'd say that it's more than Satisfactory. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds uh, like a sequel. <laughs> uh, well, considering it's still in early access, maybe that's a little premature. But yeah, it's a, just about building a factory and... Making stuff. What kind of stuff do you make in your factory? Oh, well, first, it's like, okay, now, first I need to mine iron and copper and make them into ingots and then turn the ingots into wire and plates and all that stuff. And you build your way up to, like, motors and uh, circuits and whatnot. So it's like kind of like a, a digital version of wiggling your hand in front of your face. I'm, I'm kidding. I can't get ingots that way. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it sounds like then, Bill's our go-to guy when the world ends. We can use Bill to build our uh, society back up again. That's true. He's got a factory. If I actually had a factory, that might be a valid statement. 
<laughs> as it is, I can tell you, well, you would need a supply line with these things. Oh, what to do with those things when you got them? I don't know. It goes into some box and comes out to the other side. That's spoken like a true administrator, Bill. I think you're, we're going to hire you for the factory work. <laughs> I mean, not the work, but the administration side. Okay, well, if we have a post-apocalyptic uh, factory, I'm your man, sure. Well, what if we want to get started early? Have a No one ever talks about the pre-apocalyptic times, which is what we're in, right? Well, you wear less cool clothing than pre-apocalyptic. <laughs> uh, that's, that's true. That, it, it all revolves, it revolves around beer and wine sales, pre-apocalyptic. You know, I hear those are very popular some places. <laughs> not, I'm not. I'm not. I think Bill would be. Uh, Bill would also be our go-to guy for uh, developing um, escape rooms. I believe as well. I think he would have some great ideas on on traps and, and puzzles and things to do for the escape room. You know, I I tend to agree with that. I bet you would be diabolical. Well, that might be the problem. I mean, do you want people to actually be able to solve them or not? <laughs> <laughs> would, would there be a Bill Mini-Me? Would we have to do a little avatar Mini-Me of Bill to be in the escape room? We're going to have to get Bill to start a, 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 a escape room business that are impossible to solve. <laughs> It'll be called No Escape Room. <laughs> Just a bunch of people crying in the corner. <laughs> there are tears like, with, taste like candy. Virtual, what can I say? Virtual balls of whiskey. <laughs> Bill, what was the first video game you ever played in your life? Ooh, good question. <sighs> Trying to remember what that would be. Um, I remember we had, my family had some like little Texas Instruments console thing back in the early 80s. And it had a game that, you know, you piloted a spaceship. I can't, it wasn't Space Invaders. It was slightly more complicated than that. Uh, it was side to side instead of up and down. Oh, nice. Uh, that was pretty much the biggest difference between so, in Space Invaders. So is it Defender? Uh, Could have been. Defender is a... That was... Many quarters were played with that. Many quarters was, lost. Yeah. What's that? Sadly, my first game was Pong, where you had the two <laughs> little paddles that went up and down a big rotary thing. They, I had that. That was about it. <laughs> many, many moons ago. You're older you than me, but I had that too. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the days of age of, uh, of video games and Sega ones and stuff like that. That's an interesting True game. Enough. You know, I, uh, when I was seven years old, I, got, I was uh, uh, gifted a, uh, my brother and I were gifted an Atari 2600. And the funny thing is, is we didn't even know they existed. We, we didn't even know that we wanted that. Like, some, <laughs> someone was pretty smart. They're like, this kid will love this. And, oh, my goodness, we played that thing until we wore out the joysticks, and we ended up pulling the joysticks out, and we found that there was little bumps. Like, that were, there were little buttons that, uh, you know, it's kind of, if you've ever looked inside of an Atari mm -hmm. joystick, mm -hmm. it has, like, you know, there's, it, it does some, <laughs> some calculation, some X and Y kind of Cartesian coordinate sort of a thing. But it's like the the yeah. the the amount that you're moving up as opposed to the side. So it does this sort of, I don't know, some some sensor math in there. But my brother and I found out if we pulled the joystick part off and we just pushed the buttons, we could get the planes in combat to totally spin on a dime. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but it took two people to shoot in order to do that because you had to hold it hold two things down and then get the get the you know the the uh, the fire button to shoot and you needed to have another arm for I always that. remember Go ahead. I always remember asteroids being one of the most frustrating ones for me oh, because yeah. it moved you in lots of directions and you spin around and shoot and it was kind of real confusing at the time. All the cool kids played that. I wasn't cool enough. They were always these hot shots <laughs> guys with these Iron Maiden jackets on and their hair kind of you know super <laughs> long and you know the and you know that oh they were just it was torture and they would line their quarters up on the on the top part where the plastic asteroid <laughs> sign would be they'd have all these quarters up there and people would challenge and i think they would gamble and stuff like that it was really scary back in the day quite, i think they're quite funny if you took somebody from the 70s and the 80s and and literally took them in out of time and showed them today's computer games it would just completely blow the mind they just wouldn't wouldn't be able to understand it you know, that's true because, like, you think about how much different things are. Like, when a 2600, Atari 2600 compared to, like, 
you know, just like a modern, just like any game on Steam. Totally. Any game, and you're like, oh my god! And, and then forget the VR stuff, right? That's bananas. Bananas. One thing I, I mean, I, I, I always ask a question of obviously being in VR development. At what point does the technology get so good? that our brain just completely cannot tell the difference when we're in a VR. At what point do we get that ready one situation? And then the problem there is, is the game our reality or is reality our reality? We can lose ourselves in the game and then forget in our mind which is real, which is a memory. And, and there we are, back in together. the Matrix again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, but I've done this in, in current times that I've kind of... My, my one of my cousins went to Machu Picchu, and um, I've always said that Machu Picchu is on my bucket list mm-hmm. uh, to go and visit this place. It looks an amazing place to visit. And then he told me about the trip and the steps and all, all, all it takes to get there. And I'm like, mm, maybe not. So I jumped on Google Earth and went to Machu Picchu in virtual headset, and it was pretty cool. Uh, but then I find myself talking to people and going, "Yeah, man, I've been to Machu Picchu," and then realizing it isn't a memory; it's a virtual reality, and it's kind of confusing sometimes. You mix that up. Yeah, um, I've never had that exact experience, but I'm reminded of when I first got my uh, my Vive uh, headset some years back. Yeah, I was playing Job Simulator, which for anyone at home who's not familiar with it, is not a hyper-realistic game at all. Not super hyper-realistic. In fact, the graphics are you know deliberately cartoony, and yet, and I was kind of like, okay, yeah, this is all right, but you know, I I don't really see all the craze about VR just from this. <laughs> And then I found myself trying to put my hand down on a desk in there and cover myself <laughs> up. I'm like, okay, you win this time, VR. <laughs> That's funny. Job Simulator. What was that not game about? Oh, uh, you're not familiar with it? Uh, yeah, it's about a... Simulating jobs, yeah. yeah it, it's about a futuristic job museum run by the robots who were like, humans back in the day did these tasks oh god and just like you're completely misunderstanding the point of uh jobs and so it's like okay so this is what a uh, office you know a typical office job would look like from the lens of a logical rational robot huh. okay <laughs> hmm. <laughs> i always remember watching we, we had the pleasure of bringing all of the kids from the scott center and stuff like that. <laughs> Sounds like a, quite the cough there, Martin. We, we, yeah, a cough in. Go inside away from the dogs. One second. Yeah, I was saying I uh, had the plan again. All the Scots and kids coming into my lab, and it's quite interesting to see them put the headset on and then start running. Because uh, they just don't realize they've got a cable or there's only a limited space. And they, just, they just take off and start running on these games and stuff. So, And old people are the same. We've done it with a lot of retired people and put them into simulations. And it's amazing to see um, just they drop right into it. They just they get kind of weird mm-hmm. for them. It puts them right in one place. So it's an amazing technology. It's a brave new world we're living in. Yeah. Absolutely. We are using it now. I think I mentioned this last week, but um, we are experimenting. My brother in the UK is putting um, retired people and people who are locked in with COVID into virtual experiences to get them to feel what it's like outdoors again. And it seems to be taking a lot of the anxiety away from people. They're not as stressed as much if they've been in the experience for a little bit. Okay. You know, there was a study a few years ago. Uh, well, actually, it's quite a few years ago at this point. It was, it was probably... 10 or 12 years ago where they took somebody who was a, you know, didn't have any uh, feeling in their legs. Uh, well, they were, I guess, what is that paraplegic where they, they're not from the waist yeah. down. Is that what that is? Yeah. So they were a paraplegic and which means that, you know, they, they also did, couldn't control their bladder or anything like this. And um, they put them into some sort of uh, virtual, experience where they had working legs and they were able to use uh you know different you know techniques because there's no there was no sensor for their legs or whatever like that so they they just moved as they needed to do and they found that these people were able to control their bladder a little bit more after that yeah that that was a that was a fascinating thing where they could actually they they could it was like 
allowing them to walk like they could if they believed they could walk or something it actually changed some of their neurology which was very right. very strange and i don't know if that maybe, maybe part of the bowel movement or everything is related to physical sensation from your um legs and extremities and stuff yeah you know i don't i don't know i don't know um but i think it would be a uh inter- i bet people have been uh working on that you know what there was this uh experiment a while back where they had a monkey and the monkey was able to um he was all wired up with sensors all over his his brain or you know on on his brain they had all these sensors on like this little hat on the monkey and uh there was a joystick there and they trained the monkey how to use the joystick and the if they use the joystick it would move like a cursor into a little square and then a food pellet would pop out and the, the monkey, so the monkey learned how to use this joystick in order to, to capture this food. And what they did after that is they mapped the neural activity of the brain as it was moving this, uh, this cursor, you know, all around on the screen mm-hmm. and uh, ended up to where they disconnected the joystick and they just used the thoughts of the monkey to get this food pellet and because they, right. and, but they kept the, they kept the joystick there. So the monkey kind of still felt like he was using, you know, the joystick to catch the, to get the food to come, but, it, or to get the cursor to go into the square so that the food would drop out. And at some point during that time, the monkey realized he didn't need to hold the joystick anymore. The monkey was controlling the whole wow. process with his mind and he knew it. It's like a whole wow. new type of science is opened up right then because, and there's, <clears throat> there's, there's been, this is quite a while ago. This is also probably, this is probably, I want to say like 14 or 13 or 14 years ago, actually that happened. So I went looking for the same <laughs> video on YouTube and I couldn't find it, but I did yeah. find a monkey controlling a giant, like kind of wheelchair sort of a thing and he was controlling it with his mind and he was able to do certain activities but they i don't know it was kind of weird because they would take um the machine his reward was water hmm. so i thought that was a little okay. a little brutal but you know i'm not i'm not much of a you know rhesus monkey or whatever it was so <laughs> maybe, i've seen planet of the apes we're all doomed <clears throat> that's what it is I, i'm pretty sure that that these uh you know, if the monkey was trying, it was able to figure out that he could let go of the joystick and then control everything with his mind. It's just a matter of yeah. time. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Although, yeah. what was really cool? I don't know if you guys saw the latest thing with the. There's a, a robotic dolphin now, which was so realistic. Uh, it was incredible to look at. You, you really did question if it was a real dolphin or not. Uh, it was amazing. I don't know. Just re- I don't know. It's Boston Robotics or somebody like that that's developed this thing, but it's uh, it just exactly looked and acted like a dolphin on the water it was amazing those do- those boston uh robotics people are i don't know i'm i'm fearful they're too good at what they're doing i'd be curious <laughs> to see what actual dolphins make of that thing yeah dolphins are like who's this fake <laughs> I mean, dolphins, yeah. they're, they're pretty darn smart but you know, they're pretty smart yeah i think dolphins are pretty smart so the question is like would they be like the uncanny valley that. effect for dolphins like yeah that's like the close to a dolphin <laughs> not quite horrified dolphins ah, get away from larry he's ticking <laughs> i was i was laughing at somebody i i saw um, a piece of equipment out of china uh, sorry, Japan, and it was basically supposed to understand what your dog bark meant and tell you in Japanese whatever it was. And I had to <laughs> talk to a couple of people, and their opinion was, well, my dog doesn't speak Japanese. Are they sure? Now, in all yeah. fairness, there could very well be regional dialects amongst dogs, too. That's not outside the range yeah. of possibility. Yeah. My dog is pretty smart. I don't know. He might know German. Well, he's a my dog is a a, a Chihuahua and Dachshund uh, mix dog, and uh, <clears throat> we call him the Beaner Wiener, and uh, he's, a f- <laughs> he's a f- <laughs> he's a he's a he's the best dog I've ever had in my life. He's uh, the super smart, very sweet. He's my he's, his name is Lieutenant Dan. 
We named him that because he's really That's short. Yeah. Oh, there's one question for Bill. Bill, I know you speak Japanese. I uh, do. When you speak Japanese to Japanese people, do you have an accent? Well, funny you should say that. Um, I mean, I've got you know terrible American accent, obviously. Uh, but one thing that uh, foreigners often get when they're speaking Japanese to people in Japan is uh, people will be like, oh, you speak Japanese so nicely. And it's because there are so many regional dialects in Japan. And right. so since I don't have one of those, they're generally like, oh, you, know, you speak very nice, very clean Japanese. My accent is absolutely okay. atrocious, mind you. <laughs> but, yeah. but your dialect and your grammar is excellent. Apparently. Donde esta el baño? <laughs> that's, that's Spanish. That's not Japanese. But that's how I sound when I speak Spanish. I, I wonder if, can you say a little something? Can you say, where's the bathroom in, in Japanese? Toilet wa doko desu ka? That sounds very romantic, Bill. I doubt it. It's where's the toilet? <laughs> but with a sex, sexy Japanese accent. Yeah. I, I can't do one of those. I can't even do one of those in English. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how our, um, how our socialism around language is, is, is really strange when you, when you go, I was, I was talking to my daughter this morning and she's moved from Bolton where we, we originate from, which is more like what my accent sounds like. Mm -hmm. And she's moved to, to Leeds or Castleford just outside Leeds. And they have a really strong Yorkshire accent. And it's quite funny that she's picked up, uh, not the dialect, but the, the tonal interaction. So her voice goes up, so like, I'm going to Ben Kemp. And it's kind of that upbeat <laughs> uh, that they speak a little bit in Yorkshire. So it's really, really strange to hear my daughter speak in a Yorkshire kind of dialect. I'm like, oh, and she's like, I don't speak Yorkshire. They also, it's yeah. funny, but we do that. I think we, we associate and, and mm -hmm. pick up languages and dialects and strange things from where we've been in our lives. Oh, definitely. I've lived in uh, you know, the Cincinnati, Ohio area. Then I spent around uh, five years in eastern Kentucky. So occasionally I just find that uh, Appalachian uh, accent creep, creep in just a little. Not like, you know, you wouldn't think I was from there, but, you know, I, you get the occasional y'all out of me. The occasional y'all. That, maybe that will be your memoirs book. <laughs> Probably not. The, the odd y'all. Although I find myself, I lived in Germany for a while in the military, and I used to speak Spanish and German. And you would often mix the two up. You'd be speaking to German people and throwing in the odd Spanish word that you didn't know in German. It's like really, really strange how you mix your, your languages up sometimes. They say that German is the Lego of languages, where you can just snap words together, make new one. I don't know. We'll have to get Probably. James in here. Yeah, yeah. I remember my wife, we were in Rome and we were wandering around Rome and neither of us speak Italian, but she thought by putting the word, putting the phrase olio on the end of any English word that people would understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I want a winey olio and a pizza olio and that's what we ended up doing around Rome. <laughs> and you got, we just got the strangest looks, which is really, really funny. <laughs> so, so Martin, you, you just had a, yeah. you had a COVID scare. Right. I had a little COVID scare. Yeah, last week I was coughing a little bit, so I thought I'd better. Um, over the weekend, I said, "If it doesn't get better, I'm going to get a test." So we thought and decided on Monday that it would be more prudent to to get a test and bring anything into the uh, university. So I did. I had a COVID test myself. My wife had a COVID test on Monday. Unfortunately, we had to wait till kind of Wednesday afternoon before we got the results back. But. Um, it's interesting when you have the test because once you've had the test and you're sitting there waiting, your mind starts thinking about silly things. It's like, oh, well, it's lethal to some people. Do I need to do a will? Do I need to plan this? And, and you start getting a sense of morality going with it. It's really, really strange. Um, fortunately, we came back negative. There was none there. But then I found out some of my family members have uh, caught COVID and are dealing with it in the UK. But um, it is. It's, it's a weird thing. It's just having the test creates this mindset that you've got to start thinking about things you wouldn't normally think about. Hmm. Well, on behalf of the millennials and the Gen Zers, I have to say, it must be nice to have enough stuff that you need a will. 
<laughs> I'm Generation X. I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. I've I've already expressed the my 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 kind of epitaph is is I lived, I died, enjoyed the toys. That's pretty much how you shiny things go. So they'll have lots of toys to play with. Bill's like, I can't play with any toys. I have to work. I have to. He yeah. he has to work. He even played a game, the job simulator, so he could work work hard. <laughs> I can't escape it. <laughs> the video game I talked about earlier, Satisfactory. It's all about setting up productive stuff. That's oh. right. Look, it's it's very you know it's kind of interesting. The job, the factory. You know, I think you. I, I'm noticing a pattern, Bill. I don't know. Maybe the factory one is me uh, yearning for a day back, you know, when people made living wages a bit easier. I don't know. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a living wage. I think wage. one thing I've noticed, and and again, speaking to uh, people in the UK and, and, and here, because we've been locked down so much and this COVID thing's dragging on so much, people, so many people are clinging to these conspiracy theories about masks and all that kind of stuff to try to put some normality in their life or try to figure it all out. They just don't seem to be able to accept the rationality that it's something that's not going away that easy and you've got to put steps to it. So I've heard so many people now thinking it's a conspiracy, it's been made up, they're locking us down, it's government trying to control people. And and people that I wouldn't normally assume would take that um, kind of idea on are now taking it on and it seems really strange. Well, I guess it might be partly just, you know, it would be so much easier if we could just shut down all the 5G stuff and COVID went away. Unfortunately, that's not how it Maybe. works. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't understand yeah. how people come up with these weird things. However, um, I, I don't know, I may have talked about this before, but as far as co uh, conspiracy theories go, you know, all the, one of my friends brought this to my attention. He said, you know, for every conspiracy theory that's out there that's wrong, there's ones that are right. <laughs> <laughs> well, like for instance, moving too fast. I, I, I can't deal with conspiracies. I was a, uh, I was watching this show, and they were talking about the the the, the very first jet engine, and uh, I don't know. I think we were talking about this the other day, Martin, where um, the guy who was flying that plane would wear a gorilla suit and had a cigar in his hand, um, and right. had a cigar in his hand, and he did that. Sorry, my somebody's trying to call my number, but that's okay. They'll they'll um. They have to wait for the next podcast, but, uh, but he had a the, the guy would wear a gorilla uh, costume and a uh, hold a cigar. That way, if anybody saw him uh, flying this plane that didn't have propellers, uh, he would know that hey, that uh, that that guy's crazy. Like if he said anything that I saw this uh, plane yeah. without propellers, everybody would go, oh yeah, that's kind of crazy. But no, it was a guy in a, it, it looked like a gorilla smoking a cigar flying. They're like, oh man, you're drinking too much, you know, buddy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, but, but, yeah, uh, I'm reminded of the manipulation uh, of the media. It's, it's, yeah. it's a very curious thing. I'm reminded of uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base up uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, they had this one uh, hangar that you know, no one was allowed to go into or come out of or anything like that. And they're like, Oh, that's where they keep the aliens. What and later it turned out, oh, that's no, that's where they kept the code breakers. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's the most uh, secure location on, on uh, any of those military campuses are the, are the, uh, the cryptographer areas. Um, I, I, there's a couple people who work here that, that used to, there's the people that work here in the IT department that used to be in those places. And cool. Yeah, he said those were, they were the biggest target. So, you know, I mean, it makes sense because if you can get everybody's secrets, then, you know, then. It, it is strange when we think about technology and computers and military. And we think, I mean, I look back at watching the, um, the, the Enigma uh, issue, though, where they actually uh, broke the Enigma machine. And um, the computer that they built for that was then kind of shelled and destroyed at the end of the war. Uh, and didn't let the people in technology know that was even available. So they probably stifled computer technology by at least 10 or 15 years back then. So just thinking of if we'd have, if the military would allow some of the technology that was developed through the wartime 
uh, into the real world just after the war, where would we be today in technology at the speed that we advance now? It's oh, crazy. Alternate realities. Now we're talking. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of the valid interpretations of uh, quantum mechanics is the many worlds model. So. Mm. What do you think about that, Martin? I think I think it's an interesting one. I think I think there's a lot of when we start getting into the quantum world, we start talking about multiple universes, different dimensions, things like that, and time is a theoretical kind of constant in there that basically. In the, the subatomic world, in the quantum world, time can be manipulated, whether you're forward in time or backward in time, because in some theories, the, 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 the electrons or whatever are going in and out of different dimensions. Well, who's to say those dimensions are in the same relative time frame? So are we getting information from the future? Are we getting information from the past um, by interacting with quantum uh, computing, quantum entanglement, things like that? What are your thoughts on, on that there, Bill? Oh, well, I will admit I am still relatively early on my journey through uh, studying quantum mechanics, so I'll give you some more details on that once I've had the chance to study it properly and won't just be giving you hearsay. Do you know about the two-slit experiment? Oh, yes, that is one of my favorites. That's, you know, one of those, that was like the first thing I ran into in physics that was like, oh my goodness, that blew my mind. It's very mind-blowing. Explain it. Can you explain it? Certainly. So uh, first, for those of you back home, I want you to picture, you know, like you got a pool, you got water in the pool, you throw a pebble in and you get ripples coming out from it, right? Now, picture that in that pool, you've also got like a wall and there's just one little hole in that wall. So you throw the pebble in on one side and the ripples go through and you know, they hit the wall, but some of them go through the hole and they spread out from that wall and that nice ripple uh, formation, right? Now, picture that you've got instead two slits in that wall that the wave goes through. You'll get, you know, constructive and destructive interference. So you'll get some places where the waves that go through there cancel each other out, right? right. Now, flashlight, you know, light in general works the same way, more or less. You, know, you shine a light through there and you'll get, uh, you know, through two slits, you'll get some destructive interference, some constructive interference, so you'll get light and dark lines on the wall. The part where things get crazy is when you narrow it down to like, okay, I'm sending one photon through at a time. And what do you think happens then? Well, I know the, I know the punchline to the story, oh, so. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> So what happens is that as a, just similar to the way you had the, the interference pattern with the light and dark lines, you know, revealing that, inter, that there is an interference pattern, as you shoot uh, like a gun, a single photon at a time through it, and then you look at the result, the resulting pattern on like a photographic plate or something, you end up with those same interactions, that, that same interference pattern, in other words. And if you're going to have an interference pattern, that means that something is interfering there, and you're shooting a single photon at a time. So it, how can a single photon interfere with itself and create this interference pattern? Yep. And the crazy part is, so you're doing this, and it's interfering with itself somehow. It's like, okay, weird quantum stuff going on. The part where the real magic happens, though, is that only works as long as you don't know which hole, which slit the photon goes through. If you set up something to measure which one it goes through, it stops working like that. It just goes through and it's like, all right, this is just looks like if you sent one ping pong ball through the hole. Yep. So. It's like a quantum state, isn't it? That, that you're you don't know where anything is, and so you look at it. When when you observe it, it's like quantum entanglement's the same thing. When you quantum entangle two particles, you only can actually understand where they are by observing it. But by observing it, you break the quantum entanglement. It, that's bizarre, right? It's it's super bizarre. I mean, how can a photon go through two places at the same time, right? Yeah. Different dimensional shift. So you can go on through them all at the same time. So it Lots of dimensions. It begs that question, you know, is light a particle or is it a wave? And both. Yeah, it turns out it's both. That, you know, it depends on how you're looking at it 
or if you are even looking at it. And uh, that's... Cr- I asked the question... Go ahead. I mean, it, I asked the question, is, is light a particle or wave? Or, and, and the simple question there is, if light travels at the speed of light, and we can't travel at the speed of light because of all sorts of uh, physical attributes of it, how does light travel at the speed of light? Well, light's massless. <laughs> Magic. Well, no, oh, it just doesn't have mass. It doesn't have mass so that it can't reach that infinite mass, massive state, I guess. Yeah. Pretty much. You and know. keep in mind, it is, is it, only is it when it's going through a it, vacuum. A <laughs> Say it again, Martin? Is light a particle or a wave? It's both. It depends on how you're looking at it or if you are looking at it. And the, the question there is, if it's, if it's a particle, why doesn't it have a mass? Is it, well, that's... Uh, is that one of the properties of a particle? Possibly. I because I think, I think in terms of, I think in terms of light though, it, it's a, it's measured in quanta, right? Um, I right. mean, in this, in this state, it's a, you know, like a packet of energy, if you will, like a, a certain amount. So, you know, it, it, this is fascinating. Now the, the thing is, is that this happens at the quantum level, right? The subatomic kind of this sort of, deep state level. Um, is there any evidence of something like this happening? What, what, what are the ramifications of this thought, actually, is what, where I, what I would like to talk about? Well, there are entire, people who spend their entire careers trying to answer that question. So. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But that's the, that's, but, so here's the question. Like Sometimes this... This is an interesting problem for science in a way because this, you know, the the effect of the observation is the thing that's collapsing the the uh, you know the the wave or the particle whether whether it's acting that way, right? Um, so the question here is is the act of observation is that is that not, is that a passive or active process the, the fact that you are observing something does that change its state well that's where you know, things get interesting well, does, doesn't it go from a quantum state to a fixed state well you know it's interesting because those little quantum packets of of light energy right um that's what's hitting your eyeballs right and causing your proteins yep. to move in your eye and making a signal down your optic nerve so, you know, it, you are looking at scattered light all the time. So you're look, literally seeing quantum particles all the time, and you are literally observing that. Well, and if you want to get right. real crazy when you're talking about keep in mind that light is actually going through a large number of different pathways all to get to your eye, some of which go by means by way of the other side of the universe. Whoa. Now, mind you, those, po- those probabilities get negated by other probabilities that are equally Whoa. unlikely. And I've they just, just had a, I've just had one of those brain explosions. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that, uh, the, that light takes yeah. just about every possible path to get to your eye. Just the most probable ones are the ones you actually notice. Wow. This is, this is blowing my mind, Bill. The, so... I've got to go and watch. I need to watch four more episodes of Doctor Who so I understand all of this. <laughs> I, I am, a, you know, I, this is the interesting thing, you know, because I, I did, I heard this, this statement the other day, and I think it's, it's kind of true, and it sort of relates here. And it's, it's about, like, kind of how you perceive yourself. And the statement, the statement was, goes like this, is that I don't think I am who I think I am. I don't even think I am who you think I am, but I think I am who I think you think I am. <laughs> I need, I need, I'm going to have a headache now. Give me two, <laughs> yeah, that one didn't quite work for me. I'm not going to lie. No, no it, it does work. It, it works in a way because we're, but you it, know. But it is the concept of perception is reality, that, that who you perceive and who you see yourself and who you experience yourself as is your reality. Nobody else is going to have the same reality because they're not you. Well, yeah, but that you could perceive you, so yeah. what you perceive as, as being real may not very well be real. You know, for instance, I saw this homeless right. guy dancing around a, 
um, what looked like a like a duffel bag in the middle of a Los Angeles uh, big sidewalk, Los Angeles sidewalk. And this guy was dancing around yep. as though he was in the most craziest ceremony of the world. He was just getting down in a very tribal sort of way, and right. none of us right. existed. So the question is. Did that actually happen <laughs> or was the guy crazy? And if he isn't crazy, then what if we're all crazy? And that was the only guy that had the right uh, idea. Yeah. Yeah, we're in the matrix again. <laughs> Time to play uh, the factory game. Of, yeah. I mean, if you, if you just simp about everybody thinks about the simple fact that when you go to sleep, your brain creates dreams which aren't a reality in a lot of aspects, the, the, the snippets of reality thrown together. Um, so our brain is capable of doing that on a subconscious level. When it acts like that on a conscious level, it becomes uh, like visions, hypnosis, whatever. You've got lots of lots of, of conscious thought and, and visual things being thrown in. Um, so you will hallucinate. You will have that acid kind of reaction or something like that. So... What is real? What is what is life? Are we are we walking around in a real life, or is our dream state our real life? Who's well, to know? Now it, we're getting on to Cartesian skepticism. It's like, <laughs> I can't know that anything is real. Well, you really can never know. I mean, you could be wrong. We could be literally sitting in those little gooey, you know, uh, cells or honeycomb things or whatever that were in the Matrix. Remember, the bald person comes out and they pull the jack out of their head, and it's all just snot all around them. Maybe, maybe. I mean, no, I always like to ask this question here. I like to ask this question. How do you know that we're not dead and this is heaven? If this is heaven, I need to complain to the management. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get in line. I, I, I know a lot of jokes about that, so we're not going to go that way. <laughs> I, I love that. You know, I, what I really love about that joke, I, it's, not a, it's not a joke because um, it, it, it is a... a it's an interesting question, actually. It really is an interesting question. And this is particularly uh, an interesting question for religious people because isn't there some like on earth as in, is in heaven that with this was a, you know, if like a, like, a, you know, some people who are like do the Bible thing or whatever. I, I'm not, I'm not really one of those guys, but I, I, I do love peace. So when people start to talk about like that there's, you know, that there's this afterlife and I'm like, wait a minute, what if we're dead now and this is what this is what it is? Well, if we're dead now, then what happens to people who die here? Well, maybe, you know, maybe it depends on how <laughs> how we perceive ourselves. So what, is, your, is your after, afterlife depends on what you think is going to happen? Yeah. No, I, I'm saying that I think possibly the whole origin for all of our universes to exist at the same time is because we are collapsing that wave of probability by just simply being able to observe it. Well, and that, of course, requires the Copenhagen interpretation to be correct. You know, Like I said earlier, it could instead be the multiple worlds model. You know, hey, I don't. They may be able to coexist at the same time. You no, know? no, the two the two models are kind of uh, mutually exclusive. So, well, I mean, we have dark matter, right? Well, why don't you? You know what? Before we talk any farther in my, you know, before I get lost down this rabbit hole, uh, rabbit trail, Bill, can you explain the difference between the two? All right. Well, the Copenhagen interpretation is the one that people think of when they think of like Schrodinger's cat and collapsing the, the uh, you know, the quantum state down to just one thing. And it's the, you know, the, it gives special, um, a special place to the act of observation. So you know, I observe something, the quantum state collapses, this is now reality. The uh, many worlds uh, model says, look, the, the math says something like this is happening. It, but the, all the math says is either you know, it could be that we have this weird thing with observation, or it could just be that every time there's a quantum state, in fact, what happens is the universe splits off into two things. So it's not that you, know, you collapse the wave and the cat is, you, know, you open the box, and the cat's either alive or dead. It's no. This world splits off this way, the cat's alive. This world splits off this way, the cat's dead. Mm. And the thing is, the math supports either way of looking at it. We we have no way of telling. 
Mm. That's very, very. I mean, very if you think about if you if you think about our reality right now, I mean, we already know in, in as far as atomic scale and things like that, we're ninety nine point whatever empty space. So the only reason we can feel and touch things called a strong force keeping all this together, which is bound by a universal string theory of frequency. So if you think about multiple universes being different songs played in different frequencies, um, our reality is bound by a frequency of string, a string theory. And to change that, you just kind of tune the channel. Whoa. What do you think about that, Bill? String theory is not something I have had the chance to work with in a formal setting much yet. So you know, you know what's interesting about that, Martin, is that I was just reading this, uh, or I was just listening to this book about, uh, uh, like this, that had some Vedic, uh, like a Hindu kind of uh, connotation to it, and it said that that all matter, or this is the, this is the way it was being described, is that it is a of like you know they they have the in the in the yoga they have that the om sound right mm -hmm. and they say that that yeah. was that's the sound of you know the whole the the whole kitten caboodle like that was the first sound right that was and then they they related it to like bible stuff where they said that you know like uh when god created the universe or whatever like this they you know made a sound and then that's what it was but i mean i don't know anything about that but I did hear this thing, and the way the person was describing it was that everything that exists today is ex is in existence as a uh, a variation of uh, the vibration that was initially caused by that the sound of Ohm. And I never really thought about any of. I never. If you think of it from a frequency, yeah. Yeah, I never. I never thought about from a from a, a string theory sort of uh, vantage point that that. That's curious. I, I'm going to lay awake at night and think about that, I think. I'm not. <laughs> Bill doesn't think about things like that. Um, so I, I have a theory based on when we think about ghosts and we think about um, people like Nostradamus, people like that saw future events. <laughs> if, if you, I'm sorry. If, 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 if you think about um, the ability, let's say there is multiple universes. We've got theories that say there is. And just like watching the old TV channels, you would tune the dial and you would kind of ghost in something else from another channel. What's to say that our human brain isn't capable in some sub-quantum uh, sub level of, of connecting with these other universes? Uh, Occam's razor is your answer things, there. there. Yeah. So why, why is, why, ghosts could be us seeing a dimensional shift or seeing some visual representation of something from another universe. We may be looking at another person's brain through somebody else's eyes in another dimension that gives us a future of, of a multiplied dimension that might be in a different time zone as we are. So the theory there is that, that our brains will have some quantum level connection to other dimensions and be able to visually or mentally process some of that information that seems bled through. So instead of like dark matter, it's like dark people? I think you may want to rephrase yeah, we, that. We talk about, <laughs> well, we I don't mean it in a color. <laughs> well, now, well, you say you talk about dark, dark energy. <laughs> Why could dark energy not be an interaction between different dimensions of different universes? We don't know what it is yet. We haven't got any proof for it. So, well, yeah, but that's why up, if you uh, don't have any proof for a it, black, you, you, black wait. <laughs> yeah, but a black hole is is, is got to go. At the end of the day, yeah, it's going to a, 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 a singularity, but. There's nothing to say that that isn't being blown out into another dimension. That information doesn't disappear. It goes somewhere. It gets squashed, but it may be the energy is enough to interfere with universal kind of actions. You know, you know, I did, I did hear where somebody was discussing that uh, that at the at, at the, the there could be at the end in every black hole on the like on the flip side universe, like the upside down or whatever. That the, like that is, it's a white hole where all this giant expand yep. all the expansion in a, in a whole another universe is is being you know given all the raw material to to put itself together. Yep. I don't know about all that stuff. Um, that's that's curious stuff. Um, I love thinking about weird stuff like this though. It, it you know when I say laying awake at night, like I I look for you know everything is false until it's true. 
<laughs> and so, but if you go back to the simple fact of, and the statement that say, if 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 our reality, our perception is reality, and we want to change our reality, we just change the way we think. I think we have to. I mean, because learning itself is a fundamental shift in in well, it, it can be a fundamental shift in our entire approach. I mean, most yep. people have had at least one epiphany where all of a sudden, oh, that's what that is. Oh, eureka yeah, kind of a moment. Shift. Yep. You know, and so, and 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 so this this you know th this is an interesting thing because that's the. Basically, what you're when when that happens is that you're just having this profound. Uh, it's like the you've just collapsed the wave on uh, of probability on the inside of your head and, and thought about something in a in a new light, and really gave you know, you feel that is that a cool feeling? I love that feeling. You uh, know, I will say it for anyone interested in looking into the way science advances and paradigm shifts, which is what talking about there uh, just a reminder there is a philosophy of science course uh, coming up in spring semester so people may be interested in taking a look at that uh, who teaches that i believe it's our philosophy professor oh that sounds like it might be interesting but uh, there'll be a bunch of wild wild conversations in that class yeah, quite possibly it should be interesting at the very least having taken philosophy of science myself I strongly recommend it. Yeah. What do you think? What What, what were you? What was the the ultimate uh, gift from that class that you received? Hmm. Well, let's see. Let me think about it. It's been nearly twenty years now, but uh, I'd say probably just being better able to, uh, yes, better able to explain my thoughts on the nature of progress. Because you know it's been very it's very interesting when you look back at it. There have been different views on progress you know that different cultures have proposed, uh, ranging from the cyclic, which is everything always comes back around and there's no such real thing as progress, to you know, the more linear that we tend more towards in modern times, where we're like, you know, stuff does change, stuff does advance, stuff does get better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Better is relative, though, isn't it? Well, I mean, it depends on again your philosophy. Yeah, it it depends on what what you feel is better. Some people feel simple is better. Some people like complicated. Again, it's a it's a perception of of your own personal agenda as mm. to what is better, what's not. Is technology better or not? Technology shouldn't only really be looked at as a tool. It, it's, it's a way to do something in a different way, not a better way, not an easier way, but a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and we learn a lot through technology. It gives us advances. But for a lot of people, and, and when we go to that, just like we watched the social media experiment, technology was great there, but it is creating problems in the way that it's being used. So um, who's to say what's good, better, or who's to say what is progress? When I look at progress mm. and think about TVs and all this kind of stuff, we're in such a throwaway society right now that nobody fixes anything anymore. I like going back to the days when you handmade something and it lasted for 20 years. You bought a pair of shoes and you had them repaired, you had them polished, you had them uh, new soles put on. You don't do that anymore. You just throw them away and buy another one. Um, I don't know if that's a better way. I, oh, I, every time I think about that, I think about like the garbage pat, you know, the, the garbage patch in the oceans and the, you know, that are, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you see just after one, like, say, a 4th of July uh, party, you know, in a park, there's so much yeah. mess that's created after that. And just think yeah. about just extrapolate that out to how many people are celebrating and just how much garbage one day alone makes. Whew. I mean, you look at the COVID, the COVID situation right now, we... Um, initially used medical grade masks because we wanted to throw them away all the time. And there wasn't that many that was, I mean, there was a lot being thrown away, but in the medical industry, but outside of that, there wasn't as much uh, pollution from that. You take all of society right now buying and using these disposable masks and every day they're throwing them away. We just added another huge pile onto the, uh, onto the garbage of the, of the world. Uh, rather than find a solution that's, that as we done with making masks that are reusable, um, we're still creating these these systems 
that are just one time used, throw it away, and it'll get it'll find its way somewhere to be recycled or thrown into a garbage bin. Um, we're still in that this throwaway society. The best way to get rid of pollution on the planet is to use less that causes pollution. Use less plastic. Don't buy as much plastic. Don't buy disposable throwaway product. Um, you know, I mean, take a bottle and fill it with water. Don't buy a water bottle, uh, 50 of them in a, in a pack. You know, I think, you know, if you think about how much uh, garbage is being generated just to lie to us, you know, for instance, now get, get, hear, hear me out. Like you look at the packaging of things, you know, have you ever seen these packages? They have these crazy blister packs and then this wild art artistry, you know, America's finest or whatever it happens to be. And how much of that is just, it's not even what we're buying, you know, but yet we have to have yep. that because they're pushing this whole marketing agenda because that's the way it looks cool on the shelf. Right. Or yep. you get this, yeah, you know, you get this thing that has all this, all this packaging that, Oh, this is wonderful. Or like, like look at a happy meal box, right. Or they're in bags now yep. it has information and all the information is like about how amazing it is. But in the end, it's just, people trying to sell some food to a kid, right? So just the fact that yeah, they put I mean, the, all that the stuff. The scale of the box. Oh, yeah, all of these things are just like little shiny things to attract us, which in, instead of just having the best high-quality product that they could make that satisfies this particular thing, like I think we have so much uh, dishonesty in how things are marketed towards us. I mean, we have all bought something that we thought was going to be the most yep. amazing thing on the planet. And then it turns out like, Oh, that's what that does. You know, there's so much dishonesty that it, it's just right. Every we're completely filled with it. Like look at, look at how much dishonesty there is next time you go to the store. If you're not in the produce section, you're in some sort of weird, you know, place where you're not getting all of the information and and i i think about that sort of stuff it, 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 even the produce section we take fresh organic vegetables and fruit and we wrap it in plastic why do we need to wrap it in <laughs> because it, they want to sell crazy. it they want to sell it for yeah. longer periods of time they don't want it to go they don't want it to go bad you know I mean, interestingly, if you look at the United States, in, in, in general, the United States have the largest refrigerators in the world in the homes. Double-sized, wide-open refrigerators that store this vast amounts of food that the majority of it gets wasted because it goes out of date. They don't use it. They buy it over by. In Europe and a lot of places like that, they have a small fridge. They have a little fridge that will fit under your counter, and they shop every day. They have fresh product every day. And so Ugh. the stuff they're buying isn't full of preservative and isn't coded to last two weeks longer and stuff like that. So in general, it's got to be a healthy way of living. And you're physically exercising by going shopping again. So there's got to be more to that than, than having this mass storage of I need everything in this fridge. Yeah, I, I knew somebody who used to say that if it's either good for you or it's poison. And uh, I always thought right. that was a very interesting dichotomy because there's not there's not anything I don't know maybe there is something in between but it is it's very it is very interesting like you know the fact that they put like like there are lies when it comes to like a an apple for instance they take an apple and they and then they wax it you ever had an apple where you're like what yep. is all this yep. stuff and they're yeah they're doing that not for our health they're doing that for or money, you know, and I, I just wish people would like, yeah. if they would post their intentions, just like I would wish they would right. take politicians and put who is, um, you know, signing checks to them, like like a NASCAR jacket or something. I'm sure you guys have heard right. that before. I wish they would do that with ev with. I wish they would do that with everything, just so we get the root of, of uh, of the. If we get to the truth, and it, I think it would be, it would keep a lot of garbage out of the landfill ultimately. <laughs> I mean, I think nowadays to be able to read the packet of most food products, you need some sort of degree in chemistry to understand the ingredients because there's so many weird ingredients getting thrown in there now for different reasons. That's true. It is are true. they any good for us? I, as, I, I, how many studies are out there that show the, the um, kind of kinds of things we use for preservatives and processing food and how that affects things like cancer and other diseases that are appearing and the question is, are these appearing more or are we just getting better at finding them 
or are they appearing more because of our lifestyle and, and processed food products? I don't know. This is a bunch of deep thoughts to lay awake at night thinking about. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Bill, I want to thank you for coming to the show. All right. Well, thank I, you for having me. I thank hope you. it was everything that you've ever dreamed it would be. Well, I mean, since most of my dreams involve stuff like my teeth falling out, I mean, <laughs> this is probably about par for the course, yeah. Well, we went down the rabbit hole. I didn't see, uh, see any rabbits or people on cards, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I, I love the conversations, the, this, the highly organized agenda that we have for this particular uh, this thing that we're doing. Um, I, I'm, I'm Just ex- remember, in the quantum world, we could have had this podcast last week already. <laughs> We did, and we talked about a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> no, that was, I pushed a button. Sorry, and if you, guys. If you, if you didn't like the podcast, just think differently. That's right. Think differently. I really enjoyed this talk. I love talking about these kind of crazy thoughts. Um, I, I hope that uh, that maybe this uh, this class on uh, the 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 science of philosophy or is it the philosophy of science? Philosophy of science. Oh, totally different. Philosophy of science. That sounds like a pretty good class, if you ask me. Um, although I will not be taking it because I'm already working on a degree that I have to excuses, finish it. <laughs> I have nothing but excuses. Oh no! But I would like everybody to uh, like you to thank you for listening to our fantastic show today. This has been the Shiny Things Podcast with Martin, Bill, and myself. Thanks. Signing off. Goodbye. Thanks, everybody.